Hi, I'm Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 96 of That's a Good Question. Christians shouldn't judge? What other passages do we misapply? <laughs> well, welcome back to That's a Good Question. Thanks for joining us for episode 96. And uh, our podcast is sponsored by, no, this is not a commercial, <laughs> our podcast is sponsored by our church, of which the two of us are pastors, Community Bible Church. And uh, we're in Trenton, Michigan, and I bring that up because the name of our church suggests that we're concerned about teaching the Bible and mm -hmm. learning to live out what it says, and indeed that is what we're about at our church. And yeah. In fact, our church's motto is the family of God built on the Word of God to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. But in order to obey the Bible and what it says, we have to interpret it properly. Mm -hmm. And that means putting it in its context and making appropriate application, accurate application. Right. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen when Christians or even when pastors handle the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So we've done podcasts, you've written blogs, mm -hmm. rec even recently on the principles of interpretation. And we found over the years that there are some passages that are embedded in many Christians' minds and certain verses that they've heard quoted and applied, but which are commonly misapplied or mm -hmm. misinterpreted. In yeah. fact, some of, some of the sayings that we will talk about today <laughs> are attributed to the Bible, but aren't even actually Bible quotes. So, you know, you hear things like, God helps them who help themselves. <laughs> that is not, that is, is that, uh, I don't That's know if right. we're going to talk about who well, that is later. Yeah, despite not hearing in the Bible, that phrase actually topped a Barna poll of the most <laughs> widely known Bible verses. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so the most common Bible verse people know is not, is a not actually verse. a Bible exactly. verse. <laughs> and the problem's even bigger than the fact that the statement's not a biblical one. That is, it's not found in the Bible, but it's worse uh, than being extra biblical, which is just outside the Bible. It's actually unbiblical. It's mm -hmm. contrary to the Bible. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the Bible's message and the gospel of grace, uh, it doesn't have God kind of survey our initiative and then respond as that phrase really suggests. God helps those, but after you first helped yourself mm -hmm. is kind of the idea. But Brown's the, trying hard. Yeah, yeah. I'll help him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'll jump in yeah. now that he's shown himself worthy. You know, but the truth is biblically that we're helpless mm. apart from God. And so it's not that God helps those who help themselves, it's God helps the helpless. He takes the initiative mm. in his grace, and then we benefit and respond. It's not the other way around. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Yes. So so people think that there are things that are in the Bible but are not. <laughs> but there are also a number of passages that are in the Bible and uh but people often say things about them yes. that are not accurately right. what the Bible's teaching. Right. You know, at least not in that particular text. Sometimes yeah. it's a biblical truth. It's Somewhere just not else. in that text. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in other words, the quote may be accurate, but the interpretation and or the application are not. Yeah, and it's really important to see that distinction. That is what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. And those are not always the same. That might may sound strange, but let me just give an example. You know, it says near the very beginning of the Bible, in just the third chapter, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, that, that being the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now, the Bible says the words, you will not certainly die. 
but it does not teach that that's true. Hmm. That's a false statement that's accurately, accurately recorded in the Bible. Oh. We know it's false because of the larger context where God had said, you will die if you eat of that tree. And here, Satan in the form of the serpent is contradicting God. So it's not enough to know what the Bible says. We need to know what it teaches, that is, what it affirms. And that's determined by putting the passage in context. Yeah. Well, we've titled this episode, whoops, got to switch cameras there. We've titled this episode, Christians Shouldn't Judge. And what other passages do we right, misapply? Right. So, so let's survey some of those passages that are most commonly misinterpreted mm-hmm. and misapplied, starting with perhaps the most common, yeah, Matthew so. 7, 1. I think that is definitely the most common, especially in a culture like ours that prides itself on tolerance, mm. you know, except, you know, those that are perceived to be intolerant. Oh, yeah. Are, yeah we're can't we're tolerate not tolerant that. of that. No. no, we can't tolerate that. But that happens, Matthew 7, 1, in the midst of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount that's in Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 7, in the King James, judge not that you, ye be not judged. Now, in the New International Version, which we use uh, as our primary teaching Bible at at our church, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. So the Bible does indeed say the words, judge not or do not judge. Mm -hmm. But it does not teach what so many who quote those words are claiming. It's most often used with a kind of independent mindset that claims, in effect, teach his own, you do you, (laughs) mind your own business, (laughs) or... (laughs) Mind your, mind your own business is the translation of the that's way we that, normally that, quote that, it. Yeah, mind your right. own business. Or in the words of that great theologian, Billy Joel, <laughs> I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't need you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. No, I'm never going to get that song. Well, way. and then I'm going to go on. <laughs> I never said you had to offer me a second chance. I never said I was a victim of circumstance. I still belong. Don't get me wrong. You can speak your mind but not on my time. And then in one of the great pearls of wisdom... We ought to have a rule here. If you quote more than one stanza, you got to sing I it. I can sing it? Oh, you know what? I might. I might break out in song here. <laughs> now, here's one of the great pearls of wisdom ever recorded in popular music. He said sarcastically. <laughs> here, here's what in that same song. They will tell you you can't sleep alone in a strange place. They will tell you you can't sleep with somebody else, but sooner or later you sleep in your own space. Either way, it's okay. You wake up with yourself. As long as it's you doing it, you wake up with yourself. Hmm. As long as it's you doing it, it can't be wrong, is the idea. Mm-hmm. Just this past week, text messages from former President Trump's clo- closest aides were disclosed. A guy named Brad Parscale, he was Trump's campaign manager. But when he heard the president's words and he saw his inactions to stop the mob on January 6th of last year, he had regrets. And these texts were just revealed this past week. He texted to another Trump surrogate, a gal named Katrina Pearson, on the evening of January 6th. And he said this, the riot was, quote, about Trump pushing uncertainty in our country. A sitting president, this is, these are his words, asking for civil war. I feel guilty for helping him win. Hmm. So pangs of conscience from a a Trump official, that's newsworthy in itself. Mm -hmm. But but the really (laughs) interesting part is Katrina Pearson's reply to him, her text reply. Get this. You did what you felt was right at the time, 
and therefore it was right. Mm-hmm. Hey, either way, you wake up with yourself. Mm-hmm. What you say is right. What you do is right by definition because you said it. So who can judge anyone else? That's the kind of milieu that we're, we're dealing with. The culture at large believes that to be the case and even thinks the Bible itself teaches that because, in fact, it says, judge not. So anyway, to quote some other great theologians, Steely Dan, the things that pass for knowledge, I can't understand. (laughs) But this is where we are. Yeah. You know, it is interesting to me on that one that so people who are most, I mean, we are happy to hear quotes like that come out because we want the truth exposed in some of these things that have happened, um, even though it's it's casting our political side of the aisle in a a poor light, the leader of our political side of the aisle for a time. Right. But um the side that would tend to be most excited about those things coming out would also be very likely to say, hey, yeah, whatever's right in your own yeah, eyes. Yeah, exactly. And showing the contradiction there. Very true. So, yeah. Which highlights all the more <clears throat> the importance for us who say, no, no, not whatever's right in your own eyes, to stick to the truth even you if it hurts our side. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, all right, you asked where were, where were we? Well, <laughs> this is a good time to revisit something that we emphasized when... Uh, we did those segments on principles of interpretation, and I mentioned it, I kind of alluded to mm. it earlier, and that is context determines meaning. Yeah, yeah. So we need to see the context of Matthew 7 <clears throat> when it says, judge not, right? Yes, indeed, and especially since the truth of the matter is the Bible elsewhere commands us to judge. Mm-hmm. So right. we're going to have to harmonize that with yeah. Jesus saying, is it judge contradicting not. Contradicting himself, yeah. Yeah, right. or does perhaps this one have a nuance we need to be aware exactly. of? Exactly. I mean, the same Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 24, he said, judge correctly, hmm. uh, or some translations say, judge righteous judgment. So there he's telling you to judge, but do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.15. He says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. And he's commending that mm-hmm. as something we're to do. And even in Matthew 7, where Jesus said, judge not, just after saying that, he says in verse 6, that's in verse 1, but in verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Hmm. Now, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says about that. He says, dogs and pigs cannot refer to you know, all unbelievers, all Gentiles. But as John Calvin rightly perceived, he, he says, only to persons of any race who've given clear evidences of rejecting the gospel with vicious scorn and with a hardened contempt. Mm-hmm. So we know Jesus can't be teaching that we are never to judge anything or anyone under any circumstances. And in fact, you see that immediately following the judge not that you be not judged in verse 1. Because he gives now what kind of judgment it is he's prohibiting. He says, for, because... In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Mm-hmm. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he goes on to talk about judging someone for the speck in their eye while we have a log sticking out of our, our head. So the context then is not about eliminating all judgment, mm. but rather it's prohibiting a certain kind of judgment, hypocritical judgment is what Jesus is uh, saying we can't do. Yeah. yeah. Another passage that I've heard misused often is Matthew 18, 19 through 20, mm-hmm. where it says, if 
If two of you on earth agree about anything mm -hmm. that they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that applied to prayer, meaning if two people agree together that something should be done and then pray for it to happen, God promises that it will. I've also heard it applied to a small gathering. So you gather for worship or uh, prayer, and it's the promise that, all right, there's two of us, three of us, God's here in our yeah, midst. Right. Um, you know, never mind that we know God is with us all the time. Right. I mean, if, if I'm by myself, yes. God is with me. Right. Um, but the context of those verses tell us what they're about again, right? Yeah, exactly. you got to look at the, the context. So what is this context of Matthew 18? Mm -hmm. You were quoting verses 19 and 20, but if you go back up to verse 15, that's where Jesus gives these famous words about uh, what we call church discipline. He says, mm -hmm. if a brother or sister sins, and you go to them because you love them and you're seeking to win them back, and if they hear you, then you've won your brother. You do that just between the two of you. That's just a private interaction. But if they will not receive what you've said, if they will not repent, well, now you want to bring two or three others. And, and Jesus says, bring two or three others. So, and this, and this is in quotation marks. If you look at the passage, it says, bring two or three others along so that every word might be established by two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. And that's in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. Now that's Jesus then quoting from somewhere. He's quoting from the first part of the Bible. Mm -hmm. and in particular, the book of Deuteronomy, where God is giving his law and the way that Israel is to organize itself and the way the judicial system in Israel is supposed to work. And, and it's telling you in Deuteronomy 19 that no one can be convicted of a crime on the say-so of one person, but rather mm -hmm. there have to be two or three witnesses. Corroboration. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so now I, I understand that personally now to apply to church discipline to mean that only those things for which you have multiple witnesses to the offense, some take that, and I and understand why, and this is a possible interpretation, that that is two or three witnesses to the confrontation. Mm -hmm. You know, so you come to me because I've sinned. I, I wanted to do it, you know, I come to you because you've sinned. But I'll let it, we'll go the other way. You come to me because I've sinned and, and I don't receive. And then the idea on that interpretation would be you get two or three others to say, hey, I've got an issue with Ken, he's not receiving it, so I need you to come along and be there to grant some wisdom to this, but also to just see my spirit as I do this, mm -hmm. and also be able to, to confirm that indeed he's not willing to cooperate if if he's still in that state. So that's that's one I understand it to be just like in Deuteronomy 19. You've got to have people who who've seen this happen. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have people who've seen this happen, then you don't go further with it. And God can mm -hmm. God of course has ways that's to all reveal assuming it. the person's not acknowledging the sin. Yes. So the person's refusing to that's acknowledge right. that. So now and you don't want it to be a you know this this one said that one said. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Now, it's in that context that mm -hmm. taking two or three that verse 19 speaks of at least two agreeing. You know, so where have you in the context seen two <laughs> before? Mm -hmm. It's in the context of this church discipline situation. And in verse 19, it's promising that where there are two or three, then in verse 19, gathered, and I would then add, I think, accurately given the context, gathered for this purpose. Mm-hmm. For this purpose of the church is gathered, uh, and you've got the two or three there who have seen the offense, 
So they're gathered for the purpose of reconciliation and of restoration. This is now God promising his approval to this process mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's one he gave and his blessing. And I would add, it's also conversely, though, a warning to the offender mm-hmm. that, hey, Jesus approves of this. Jesus mm-hmm. is the one who gave it. So really take this seriously. So one scholar whose book we will recommend at the end of today's podcast, he says this about that passage. Jesus is saying that whenever the church is pursuing and is involved in a reconciliation process with someone who's refused to repent, they can rest assured that God's blessing is with them in their efforts. In other words, as the church renders judicial decisions on matters of right and wrong that are based on the truth of God's word, they should be confident that they're doing the right thing and that Christ himself is right there with them, spiritually present in their midst. Mm. That's great. Uh, another passage in the greatest hits collection, if you will, of misused verses <laughs> is Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. If you look at that in the KJ, KJV, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. Man, that preaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, for sure. <laughs> this, this was just misapplied in an otherwise really good curriculum that I was using this past Sunday. Mm, and okay. so I, t- I took a moment to explain, you know, this is a very good. This was an extra biblical principle the text was making. Okay. It wasn't unbiblical. Yeah. Um, but use the wrong know, verse. Planning's good yes. is what the text yes. was trying to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this particular verse wasn't saying that, and I and I thought that was important to point out yeah. because we don't want to. No. And you know, so it's used that way a lot of times in r- Christian circles. No political convention would be complete without a candidate touting his vision for the country (laughs) and then quoting Proverbs 29, 18 to underscore the urgency of elect me because I've got a plan. And that's the way it's most often used. That's the way it was used. Except for one of the Bushes, right? (laughs) Oh, who said, oh, yeah, with the vision vision, thing. The vision thing. thing. That was George H.W. Bush. He was tired of it. Apparently wasn't very familiar with this. He says, oh, you guys keep asking about the vision thing. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Or maybe he knew the proper context and refused to play ball. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> but that's the wrong way it's most mm-hmm. often used in politics, but also in business and then in church circles as well, like you pointed out. Uh, the leader has a plan, has a good vision for the country or for a company or for the, the church's future. But we, we need to step back. We need to remember what the Bible says about what a vision is. And then mm-hmm. when we do, we find not simply a plan for the future, but actually something else. Uh, So passages like Genesis 15, verse 1, says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Hmm. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 17, it's talking about the prophet Nathan and giving what we call the Davidic covenant to David from the Lord. But it says, In accordance with all these words and all this vision, Hmm. so Nathan spoke to, to David. Isaiah, the very first verse of the 66th chapter, Book of Prophecy, that is Isaiah, very first verse. It says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. In my vision, I saw. And then it goes on. And then you come to the New Testament. We've been going through the book of Acts recently. In Acts chapter 10, uh, it talks about a a man named Cornelius who received Mm -hmm. a vision. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, Acts chapter 10 and verse 3 says he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and then gave instructions. And then later in that same chapter, Acts chapter 10, Peter is given a vision. It says about noon the following day, Peter fell into a trance. And then it says uh, a bit later, Peter wondered about the meaning of the 
vision. So mm -hmm. he was given a vision. And then the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 18, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. So visions were this. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. And they were clearly means of revelation, God disclosing a message. Mm -hmm. That's why now in the NIV, and let me just stop here for a moment. We've quoted for the judge not that you be not judged, you know, the King James, and then where there is no vision, the people perish, that's mm. the King James. Mm -hmm. Some of these have, have come about and have stuck with people because the King James has dominated people's memorization of verses. And some of these translations, if you don't know the Greek or the Hebrew behind them, then in English can give you a false in, mm -hmm. impression. Mm -hmm. And so some of the newer translations have tried to have tried to update that so that you don't have that false impression. And here's an example of that. The New International Version, Proverbs 29, 18, instead of where there is no vision, it says where there is no revelation. Mm -hmm. Because what's it doing? It's taking what visions were. They were revelation. Mm -hmm. They were God revealing things. So where there is no vision... And then when it says the people perish, it says the people cast off restraint. The idea is if we don't have revelation from God, if we don't have uh, information from God, disclosure from God about what we're supposed to do, mm -hmm. then everyone does what's right in their own eyes and they yeah. cast off restraint. Yeah, why are we here? I yes. mean, if, if everybody's coming up with their own answer, yes. I mean, yeah. how many of us are there? That's how many answers there yeah, can there be. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, in the gym the other day. I uh, don't want to share a personal story. I already uh, am dubious about where this is going. You were in the gym the other day. Okay. Well, I was there, you know, and I was getting ready to do some bench presses, and I wanted to really see what I could do, and I uh, put 300 pounds on there. And thankfully, before I did, I quoted Philippians 4.13, which we all know you've got a you know, needle point there on that pillow. And it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And lo and behold, I had to yell for help, you know, and I... Of course, I'm kidding. I would never go to the gym. <laughs> no, but that's that's one of those verses. Yes, right? indeed, indeed. <laughs> so first, let's be clear to our audience: you do did not do that. Like I you did said, not do that. Do not try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> but you make the right point that yeah. divorce from the context of that verse, Philippians four thirteen. Uh, has come to mean I can accomplish anything, mm -hmm. whether in athletics or in academics or entertainment. Yeah, and before the game, you know, pregame prayer, you, you quote that verse. Things, right. yeah. So, of course, God likes us better than the other team. Okay, that's right. They're, they're praying the same one. So, what happened to that? Right. <laughs> so, we ask the Lord for strength, and then, then you can do it. Um, hey, there's the truth is, there's just some stuff, as you point out in your. Your, your funny illustration that we just we just can't do no matter how many times we ask. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago, Leadership Journal. I don't know if Leadership Journal still comes out, but I used to subscribe to it many years ago. And one of the things Leadership Journal was famous for was its cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> it, it I think you shared some of those funny, with me yeah, over the years. And, and one of them is this pastor sitting at his desk, and he's like staring. And you know, I think he's contemplating something deep and spiritual. And then the thought cloud just says, you know, I'm never going to be able to dunk a basketball. <laughs> this guy knows life's passing. Now, now you know what pastors <laughs> think what about when they're sitting at their desk <laughs> contemplating. But, you know, and no matter how much I quote Philippians 4.13, I'm not going to be, be able to dunk a basketball. No. So the context of Philippians 4 is various situations of life and how an understanding of Christ's care and his presence helps us in those, whether those circumstances are good or bad. So you quoted verse 13, verses 11 and 12 mm. say... 
I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then verse 13 says, Mm -hmm. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So, you know, we have to qualify. I can do all things. Mm -hmm. Well, the all things, it's all these things in the context of the various circumstances of life. Quite literally, I can be content in all of these circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what a, what an awesome truth. Amen. And what a sad thing to miss it if yeah. you go with the other. Doesn't need any help yeah, if you put exactly. it in the context. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is really messing up some good oh, preaching, man. though. That's right. you know? <laughs> yeah, this is true. And that you know that Philippians four passage has another verse that's often misapplied. Uh, verse seven of Philippians four. You you mentioned oh, verse yeah. thirteen, but it says the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, a wonderful, wonderful promise, mm-hmm. but it's often misused. Uh, It's used often in the context of decision-making and how you know you're making decisions in keeping with God's will. Now, we did a podcast on this topic. I I looked it up nearly two years ago now, in August Mm. of of 2020, and we looked at some of the passages that are often misused when talking about how to know God's will, and this is one of them. That verse is not in the context of making decisions. Just a few verses prior to Philippians 4, 7, Uh, In verse 4, it says that the person who rejoices in the Lord always, whatever their circumstances, good or bad, and then it goes on to say that they don't worry about anything, but instead they give their cares over to the Lord, that person will have Hmm. the peace of God that transcends all understanding. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it, we'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, that, and that's an important one, too, because one, you know, that promise is a wonderful promise, again, tying back to right. circumstances. Right. And if we understand it rightly, it can be right. a great comfort and bring the peace that we're yes. talking about, yes. not the peace of I'm trying to decide something and have peace about it, is yeah. how we are I have a peace about it, and, and what if you have that feeling, you have that sort of oomph, that peace about it, and then the thing doesn't turn out, mm. which you know happens, right? Yeah. Well, now you're disappointed in God, that God did something. Well, wait a minute, God, you gave me this peace, yeah. you know, but he never He never told you to make your decisions yeah, on that it basis. Can, it can cause you to disengage the thing God has given you to make mm. decisions, which is reason. And, and, you know, I feel a peace, so I'm going to quit thinking about it yeah. <laughs> and evaluating. Reason and, from Scripture. Scriptural principles. Exactly, right. exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah, and that, that's extremely important for people, you know, on the other side of that, if they've been misinformed about that or misunderstood this, and they become persuaded that there's this dot of God's will that they've got to well, find, this hidden bullseye right. Uh, right. that comes from misunderstanding passages like Romans 12.1, for example, yeah. which says in the KJV again, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so now you've got that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the way it reads in the King James. Mm-hmm. And many have taken these to be three different wills, plural. Mm-hmm. That God has three wills. He has a mm. good will, he has an acceptable will, and he has a perfect will. So the bullseye, mm. the dot, you want that perfect will, right? You don't not want to settle one, not, not just one. good, you don't want just acceptable, you want perfect. Mm. But it's really a misunderstanding of the verse. It's not three wills. 
It's really one will with three characteristics, that that one will of God is good. Mm. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It's all talking about the one will. In fact, again, the NIV says it this way in that verse, do not pattern uh, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, that makes it more more clear. Yeah. And and if someone does not believe that the that the wisdom found in the Bible is enough to guide them in making God honoring decisions, like you you talked about using reason to apply biblical principles, yes. that will lead them to misapplying other passages as well. Yeah, but and it stands to reason that that's what will happen with them. That that'll be the next step in the wrong direction because mm-hmm. you have to add something to the Bible then mm-hmm. to determine God's will. And that something you have to add might be an inner voice. Mm. So I felt led. So that's how I knew it was God's will. It may be that you've prayed about it and you have peace about it. Mm-hmm. Again, some extra biblical, some subjective kind of thing outside the Bible. It may be that you put a fleece out <laughs> before the Lord. Of, of <laughs> I was just type. thinking of that. People take the Gideon principle as if it's... A noble idea exactly. when it was actually kind of him. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. And all of them are additions to Scripture that, mm-hmm. that guide us. And if these are necessary, then this really gets now to an important error, a serious error, because Scripture itself is not sufficient to, to guide mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. And that <clears throat> just to complete the thought, I didn't want to I step on what you were going to say okay. about that. But with yeah. Gideon, yeah. the Lord told him. Right. And he was still doubting. Yeah, so yeah. then he put Lord, the fleece let's try out. try something else out here. Yeah. yeah so so <laughs> the fleece isn't a noble way to discern no. God's will. It's second That's guessing right. God. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Right. But, but doesn't the Bible allude to things like, you know, someone may be yeah. thinking, what about when the Bible talks about being led by yeah. the Spirit yeah. or having peace or putting out a fleece? Yeah. Or, yeah. It does. The Bible does speak of those, being led by the Spirit, but not in the context of decision-making. Being led by the Spirit's in Romans chapter 8, and it's in the context of living in obedience to God's moral commands. Mm. If you look at the context of it, the passage is contrasting living by our sin nature, the flesh, and living according to the Spirit by obeying His commands. It says if you live, uh, in verse 13 of Romans chapter 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So it is being led by the Spirit, but it's not about decision-making in some kind of Mm -hmm. mystical way. It's the Spirit leads God's children into living as God desires. Mm -hmm. We saw what it says in Philippians 4 about having the peace of God. And yes, there is also a passage where it does speak of someone in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, as you said, Gideon, putting this fleece out before the Lord mm-hmm. to get an answer as, as to what to do. But as you've alluded, he was told by God already what to do, to lead in battle against tens of thousands of Midianites. Mm-hmm. But he's only going to have 300 men on his side. Well, as you might imagine, he's got some apprehension about this. He doesn't want to do it. So he's hesitant to believe that God's actually going to lead him to victory And so he comes up with this fleece idea. Mm. And in Judges chapter 6 and verse 36, he says, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. Let me just stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Think about that. If you're going to do what you promised, you're already on the wrong track. Right? I'll just hasten to say I I feel Gideon's... Sure. You know, I'm sympathetic. I don't want it to sound earlier like... 
you, you know, what yeah. a, what I a dork. Right I can't thing. believe it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, how often do we do the same thing? We've got the whole Bible here, well, the entire revelation, and we doubt. And that's why we have the stories. Yeah. We have yeah. the stories because we do similar kinds of things, exactly. right? For sure. Yeah. But he says, if you're going to do as you promised, mm-hmm. he goes, I'm going to place this wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the rest of the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And then it comes out that way, by the way. It goes on. And then he says, well, let's reverse it then. Let's try it. <laughs> Can we just do a little pre-miracle? <laughs> Maybe just one more pre-miracle. Right. <laughs> Pre-pre-miracle. And so, you know, he's, this is an act, as you said, of unbelief. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for an excuse to avoid doing what God has told him. So, you know, people have argued that this is what we're supposed to do when we try to make a decision. We should put a fleece out like Gideon to see what the will of God is. So people use this, despite it being an act of disobedience, as a model for how to discern what God wants us to do, what God's will is. So people will say things like, I put a fleece before the Lord, and I told God that if he wants it this particular way, then have such and such happen. And if he wants me to pursue another course, then have this other thing happen. So an example, Lord, if you you want me to do this and it's urgent, I have to make the decision, you know, it's only going to be available in the next, so in the next 10 minutes, have the phone ring. And if the phone rings, then I know that, you know, that's a sign that I'm supposed to be doing it. So the misusing passages of Scripture, and it's always without putting them in context. Hmm. Now, I mentioned some books, and then I'm Okay. But uh, one book that I would recommend is titled The Most Misused Verses in the Bible. And the guy has 17 of them. He includes a few of the ones we talked about here, but several others as well. 17, The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, Surprising Ways God's Word is Misunderstood. It's by Eric Bargerhuff, B-A-R-G-E-R-H-U-F-F. Uh, the most misused verses in the Bible. And then on decision-making and the will of God, there's mm. a book by that very name. And we have it in our resource center, and it's by Gary Friesen. Oh, both good ones. So we'll yeah. we'll put links for those down in the in the uh, video description. We need to get an affiliate link or something. So <laughs> people... That's right. We, <laughs> well, we if, you, if you go to... If we, don't, we don't get any affiliate credit, so we'll still put a link down there just for your convenience. If you go to our church, we carry... Did we carry both of those in the resource we center? We carried the one, Decision Maker. The Gary Friesen book, yeah, so yeah. that'll be there. And I took note of the time, I think at 25 minutes, we referenced an older video. I'll try to link that up above ah, Pastor Ken's head as good. well. So uh, we hope this is helpful for you. Uh, God's Word makes promises to us. It's good for us to know it, but to handle it carefully yeah. and, and understand it rightly. Yes. And uh, so hope this has been beneficial to you. We make these episodes of That's a Good Question just about every week. We release them on Saturdays at 2. If you don't already, hit the subscription button below this video so you um, can uh, get notifications. Actually, you have to hit that little notification bell as well so you know when we release new videos. And we look forward to seeing you in the next one. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.